The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Intense. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you for these stories that sound like fiction. Um, but we know that beneath the scripture, Lord, there are truths for us to unearth, Lord. So I pray that um, you open our ears this morning and you soften our hearts, Lord, and we are just open to what you have to say to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Janie. Hey, good morning, everyone. All right, my name is Randall. If it's your first time here, welcome. Um, I'm one of the pastors here, and, and I'm excited because this is week two of the book of Jonah. And we've been looking through this book, really, because we started with Vision Sunday a couple weeks ago, talking about how we are a church for our city, for our community. We're here for others, and, and how that's not an easy thing. Uh, that's not an easy thing, a natural thing within our hearts. And so what we see in the book of Jonah is a lot of what's within us, within our own hearts. So as we looked at Jonah last week, we saw that Jonah ran as far as he could from the calling that God had placed on his life. And so today we're in this text, Jonah 1, 7 through 16. And uh, the message is this, from fear to worship, from fear to worship. Now, like we said, our vision is to be a church for a city that seeks new life in Jesus. And, you know, our hope, as we talked about, is, is again, to be for the city, for others. Um, so thank you for bringing these backpacks and, and, and really being a, a tangible uh, sense of God's love to our community and to our city. Um, so that, you know, and, and even thinking about this past week, we, we had a City Kids Sports Camp over the summer and we collected school supplies for the elementary school kids in our community and was able to bring them uh, this past week over to the elementary school Spreckles right up the street from us. And the, the response was, thank you, thank you, thank you. So again, thank you for being for a community, for a city. But to do that, 
to be that, to live that out every day, it's going to take God teaching us how to learn to love, to learn to love. Because you know the thing about a city, a city is diverse, it's fast-paced, many times it's self-focused, and so it's not natural to have that love within us. Um, yesterday, we had the GC women uh, at my house, and so for me, I get kicked out of the house for about three to four hours, and I got to figure out what I'm going to do with my three kids. And so we went to the gym, and then I'm like, okay, I'm going to take them out to breakfast. It's going to be a great morning. And then um, I get back, and GC Women started a little later now. So I had to figure out for about 30 minutes what I was going to do with the kid. And I, I could not figure it out, so I'm just driving. I'm driving around in my minivan, circling around in the neighborhood. People are like, who is this guy? Creepy. Just trying to figure out what to do. And here's the thing about my van. We've got three kids that are different ages and think differently and have different thoughts. And so we put, you know, I put them in the back together. And here's the expectation that they would love each other. <laughs> and uh, about five minutes into my 30 minutes of trying to figure out what to do, they're already punching, slapping, yelling. There are fights breaking out everywhere. Chaos. Here's the thing. We might try to clean it up in our own lives, but naturally we can't do it. And, and you know, my youngest, we were driving around later that day and out of nowhere, here's what she said. She says, Daddy, you know, we were fighting this morning. We were really bad. And um, we need Jesus' help. We need Jesus' help. Till she's five years old. And I looked back, I said, that's it. That is it. We need Jesus' help. And so God must fill our hearts with his love for a city, for a community. And that's why we're studying the book of Jonah. That's why we're studying the book of Jonah. Because as you look at Jonah, he's got it all. He grew up, like we talked about last week, basically with a youth group setting. He was the chosen one. He was picked out. He was a prophet of God. Yet, he struggled with loving his enemies. He struggled with loving a community, a city. He struggled so much that he ran from God, a prophet. So just an overview from last week, verses one and two quickly tell us that God called Jonah to, number one, go to the enemy of his people, Nineveh. And here's the thing about Nineveh. They were a cruel and savage people. They were a cruel and savage people. If you were to think of any people that, that would be like, okay, these are the people that I want to go to. Nineveh was not the place. But also, he was called to preach against them. To preach against them. So not only are you going to a place where they're not going to like you, but you're going to have to preach against the things that they're doing and say, hey, this is not God's way. Not an easy task. You see, over the years, many have thrown Jonah under the bus and said, well, Jonah, he just ran from God. He, you know, he wasn't obedient. But if we were to wrestle with the things that are in our own hearts, we would have to say, I'm a lot like Jonah. See, why did he run? A couple reasons. Fear and anger. Fear and anger. 
And so throughout the book of Jonah, God is just dealing with his heart. He's dealing with his heart. Here's the thing about God. He, he doesn't just deal with Jonah's behavior. Jonah, you're being bad. You're not listening to me. You don't see God saying that in the book of Jonah. But what you see in the book of Jonah is that God comes to him and says, hey, what's going on with your heart? He asks Jonah a lot of questions. He wrestles with Jonah internally. See, God is not just after Jonah's behavior to be good and obey him. He is after his heart. And this is the same way that God deals with us. He wants to transform you and me from the inside out. And so this week, we'll look at how God dealt with specifically Jonah's fear, his fear. So our text is Jonah 1, 7 through 16. In this section, in chapter 1, is what uh, is called by many scholars an inclusio. An inclusio is an Old Testament writing style. It's a literary device that are bookends of an important theme that's happening throughout the text. And so the important theme that it's talking about here is fear. It's a highlight throughout this section. You'll see it right back in verse five. It says that the sailors were afraid. Middle, verse 10, says that the sailors were exceedingly afraid. And then the bookend, the end, verse 16, it says that the sailors feared exceedingly. And so fear is a big portion of what's happening here in this specific text. But by the end, the fear shifts. It's transformed. See, it's transformed from just a fear of the storm that they were in to a worship of God. See, and this is what we all need. This is what we all need. And so how does God transform text? The first, well, he does it in three ways, and we're going to look at all three from this text. The first way that he does it with is, is an unshakable truth, an unshakable truth. The second is a dead end, and the third is a necessary sacrifice. An unshakable truth, a dead end, a necessary sacrifice. And so uh, the first Point is an unshakable truth. Let's look at verses seven through nine. Here's what it says. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Now back in verse five, it says that Jonah had gone into the innermost part of the ship. We talked about it last week where he went and he just, he was so exhausted. He laid down hiding saying, okay, no one's gonna find me here. And he goes fast asleep. Now, Sinclair Ferguson, who's a commentator on this text, notes that the Greek translation of the Old Testament suggests that the captain may have only found Jonah because he was snoring. That's the only way he found him. And so he was in such a deep sleep, he was exhausted from running. See, he had used all his energy running from God and it was at the end of his rope. He had nothing left. 
And then in verse six, Jonah is awakened by the captain with the same words said back in verse one and two by God. Here's what he says. Arise, call out. Two, two Arise, call out. This was not a coincidence. You see, Jonah had run from God, but God never stopped running after Jonah. And God's word is like Isaiah 55, 11 says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God is persistent. And God continues to run after Jonah, even through the captain. Arise, call out. Sinclair Ferguson again says, the words must have seemed to Jonah like a haunting echo from the past, exposing once more the guilt of his flight from God. You see, God was continually pursuing after him. Charles Taylor in his uh, historic work, A Secular Age, wrote that our culture denies the existence of God. We adamantly deny God's existence. Yet, we still have these haunting echoes of his voice written into our lives. He, he said, it's almost as if we can't shake it. And so he did this huge study called a secular age on our generation. I mean, like a thousand page work. And he's just writing about the way that our culture thinks. And after he studied all of our culture, through songs, movies, everything. He said, there's, uh, there's this thing. It's, it's almost as if God is just, his voice is like haunting our culture. We can't get away from it. God is there as much as we try to deny him. He calls it a haunted eminence. It's like we, we live in this box, he says, like the imminent frame. Yet and there's no God in this frame, yet it seems like he just keeps poking his way in. See, as much as we try, we can't run from God. See, what, what brought out the unshakable truth of the true God, that there's a true God that was a pursuing God for Jonah and the sailors? It was the storm. It was the storm. It started to rock the boat. It started to scare them. They, they were in fear. The storm brought out the truth. Timothy Keller says, storms reveal to us that deep in our hearts, we are all God-knowers and God-needers. We are all God-knowers and God-needers. You know, many of us go through storms in life and we say, well, I, there's something more that I need that I'm not getting right now. It might be the thing that brought you here this morning where you're searching and you're saying, is God real? Is God there? I want you to know today that he is. He is. See, what did the, the storm expose? Well, there's two specific truths. The first is the truth about Jonah. 
See, Jonah could no longer run from who he was. God gave him an identity. He said, this is who I called you to be. This is who you are. And no longer could Jonah run from his identity. He, he had to come to terms with who he was and also his rebellion against God, his running from God. See, what this was gonna bring him face to face with was his hatred for the Ninevites. You can run from something. We can deny things. We can say, oh, I'm not really that way. Can we? I mean, we hear that all the time. That wasn't the real me. That wasn't me. When something embarrassing comes out about ourselves or we respond in a way that's just not appropriate. That, that's really not who I am. The question is, who was it? Right? Who was it? If that's not the real you, then who was it? See, it's looking in the mirror and saying, no, this is the truth about me. And Jonah was going to have to come face to face with who he was, with all the religious things that he'd done in the past, with all of the, the, the title of prophet. He had to come to the terms with his deep struggle that God wanted to change his heart. And God had to do this pretty abruptly in his life. If you look at the beginning of Jonah, it's very different from most uh, prophets because it doesn't give like much of an introduction. It's very abrupt. It just comes into his life and says, okay, arise and go to these people. God had to abruptly uncover all the things deep in Jonah's heart and he had to do it in a very public way. We, we are reading it today. Right, that, that's very public. Like your struggles, if they were all written down for everybody to read throughout history, that'd be difficult. That's what Jonah's life is. So God had to do it in a very public way, but he did it abruptly. Why? C.S. Lewis gives this analogy in his book, Mere Christianity, when he says, if there are rats in a cellar, cellar you are most likely to see them if you go in very suddenly. But the suddenness does not create the rats. It only prevents them from hiding. In the same way, the suddenness of the provocation does not make me an ill-tempered man. It only shows me what an ill-tempered man I am. Right? We say, well, they just made me really upset. They made me mad. All of those things. No, it's just what was in here happens abruptly. And we need God to change our hearts. So the truth about Jonah. Secondly, the truth about God. Jonah had to be shown that God truly is the creator of all things and ultimately in charge of everything. Remember what it said earlier that he ran from the presence of the Lord. He, he thought that he could run from the face of God. Yet God tracked him down and found him right where he was at in the innermost parts of that boat and called him out. See, no matter if he wanted to acknowledge it or not, at that time, he had to come in front of these sailors and say, I know God. He's the God who created the heavens. He's the God who created the dry land, the sea. He created it all. And I know that God. And what happens next is these men were in great fear. See, Romans 1 tells us that everyone is without excuse about God's existence. 
tells us that we all know that there's some, there's, there's a creator, there has to be a creator out there. And so God says, this is who I am. You see, it's an unshakable truth that we are all in need of the God that created heaven and earth. Secondly, we see this. That's the second point, a dead end. We see it in verses 11 through 13. Here's what it says. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you? Uh, that, that doesn't sound good. You know, that the sea may quiet down for us. It's all your fault. What are we supposed to do to you? For the sea grew more and more t- uh, tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come down upon you. Verse 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. What we see now is that the sailors, sailors became very religious. <laughs> they became very religious, right? So, so as they saw all of the uh, storm coming and they're in this very vulnerable position of being out at sea, they, they start to pray to their gods. They start to look to Jonah and say, do you have a God that we can pray to? Right, who, who, whose God is gonna help us out here? Became very religious. And they said, what sacrifice do we have to make so that the sea will calm down? They are doing anything that they can to help the situation. You look at verse 11. What shall we do? What do we need to do? Do you realize that this is the core of every religion in the world other than Christianity? It's the root. The root of every other religion, if we were to boil it down, is what do I need to do? How do I appease God? How do I make myself a better person? What do I need to do? But the God of the Bible doesn't work like that. He doesn't work in a way where he says, you need to get your life together. You need to clean yourself up. What you need to do is this and that. That's not where God starts. You see, our bent as humans is to, try, to do and to try as much as we can so that we can get God's attention. What do I need to do, God, to get your attention? See, we want to find something that we can do to appease God. And we we don't say it like this, but here's what that looks like. We want to get God into our debt so that he will do what we want him to do. If I can just do enough things to get God's attention and to say, God, I've paid my dues, then maybe God's gonna give me what I want, right? It's so, it's like we're working our way into God's love and God's affection. I remember I was counseling a man one time and we were talking and he said, I've done everything God wants me to do and I've had a terrible life. I've had this terrible life. What more does God want from me? The thing I tried to help him to understand is this, that God's already done it. 
that God's already done it. See, none of us are promised that we're gonna have this perfect life or this great life or anything like that. I mean, look at Jonah's life. We're gonna see that he gets swallowed by a big fish, right? Like, he was not promised that he's gonna have this perfect, great life. That things were just gonna come together perfectly for him. God wanted him. God wanted his heart. See, our bent is naturally to try and work our way to God. See, and look at the verse, uh, verses um, uh, 12 and 13. What they do is they, they try to row their way back to shore. So Jonah's response was this. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Look at this. Verse 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but the more temptuous, became more temptuous against them. Here's the thing that we know. As we try to apply our effort to work our way to God, he says, that's not how it works. What that is, is a spiritual dead end. All throughout the Bible, the message that God tells us is that you on your own efforts, trying to get your way to me, trying to work your way to me is a spiritual dead end. We can't work our way out of the storm of sin and death. We can't work our way out of the storm of God's righteous wrath. It's impossible. It's too deep. We are in too deep. It's a dead end. There's no way out. And I know I'm allegorizing because I'm looking at this and saying, okay, well, this is, this is, but the, the text lends itself to that. All throughout the Bible, it tells us that we are at a spiritual dead end unless God does something. All throughout the scriptures. And so what happens next? Lastly, Verse three, a necessary sacrifice. Necessary sacrifice. So, so verse uh, 14 through 16, here's what it says. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Here's what the sailors did in verses 14 and 15. They simply prayed and trusted the sacrifice. They prayed and they trusted the sacrifice. That's it. See, what is the gospel today? What's the message of Christ? What's the thing that, that we are saved by as Christians? It's not that we rode hard, as hard as we could, out of the storms of our life and got to dry land. It's that God says simply, pray to me and trust the sacrifice that I send to you. That's the gospel. That's the message of Christ. Charles Spurgeon once says, it is God's looking to Jesus which secures my salvation. You want to know the thing that 
you and I need more than anything that we need on a daily basis as we strive out in the world because there's a lot of things that we need to do. It's to know that the greatest thing, the greatest sacrifice has already been made. You talk to some, I, I talk to people at times, like, how's work going, man? I'm just killing myself at work. I'm just killing myself out there trying to make things work. We sacrifice ourselves every day. Yet the greatest sacrifice that we could ever have in our life is knowing this, that there was a sacrifice that said, this is enough. This is enough for your life. Verses 15 and 16 says, the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Proverbs 9, 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Do you wanna know where wisdom begins? Do you wanna know where life starts? God says, come to me. Take your focus that might be on that storm right now in your life that's causing you fear and place it onto me because you're living a life with misplaced fear. Misplaced fear. Because there is one who faced down the fear of sin and death that we could never have faced. His name is Jesus. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. See, what is wisdom? It's knowing that you need the true God and we worship him alone, him alone. And so just some quick takeaways. Let's, let's ask some questions that can help apply this to our hearts. The first one is this. Have you heard God's voice? Have you heard God's voice? See, the voice of God was persistent with Jonah. Jeremiah talks about the word of God's word. When it came into him, it was like he couldn't, he couldn't keep it in himself. It just was so deep within him. It affected him. What we see is that God continued to run after Jonah. He worked through this sailor to speak to him. Have you heard God's voice? Here's the thing. Knowing that there's a God who speaks, because we see it all the way back in Genesis with Abraham, it's like God spoke this to him and then he went. Is that if we have a God, if we serve a God that speaks, that means he's relational. That, that means he's not just a carved statue somewhere. Like we, we see these, these men were not used to a God speaking. They were used to speaking to a God. They weren't used to a God speaking to them. And so we see throughout the Bible that there is a God who speaks. The same God that spoke the universe into being because as we look in Genesis, right, early in Genesis, we see that it was God speaking and then he created everything. And that same God that speaks creation into existence wants to speak with you and me. That's amazing. You see, Hebrews 4.12 talks about the word of God. 
It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You say, how do I, how do I know if God's speaking? How do I hear what God's voice is? We have this. We have God's word. And so let's ask, like, when was the last time that we went to God's word and said, okay, God, please speak to me. I want to hear from you. Teach me your way. Teach me your direction. Teach me your path. Lord, I want to hear your voice. So have you heard God's voice? Second is this. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of right now? What's just causing you to to just be held and and paralyzed by fear? Because again, are, are we living in the fear of the storm that's in our life or in the fear of God? See, maybe it's financial, maybe it's relational, maybe it's our job, maybe it's the loss of a loved one. We all face storms. And so what's holding us captive in fear? There's this beautiful text in the New Testament in Mark 4. And it's right at the end of Mark 4 in verses 35 through 41. And it's Jesus, and he goes to his disciples, he says, we're going to the other side. And here's what happens. They get into the boat, and a great windstorm arises, and the waves start to break into the boat. So, the boat starts to get filled up and Jesus is in the stern of the boat asleep on a cushion. And so Jesus' disciples run to him and say, they wake him up. Lord, don't you care about us? Don't you care about what we're going through? Don't you see the storm that's happening right now? Don't you see that we're going to perish, Lord? Be still. The wind ceased. Great calm comes over the water. And here's what he says to him. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, we're like, what, what, how, could, how could Jesus... How could Jesus say that to his disciples? We got to go back to the beginning of the story. What did he say? We're going to the other side. We're going to the other side. But what about if there's a storm? You didn't ask that part. You didn't ask if there was going to be a storm in the middle of going to the other side. But I told you we were going to the other side. And so... What are you so afraid of? Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? You know what happens to his disciples? It says that they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You're going through a storm. Your eyes are usually on the storm. Lord, don't you care about me? I'm I'm filled with fear right now. I'm afraid. God, how am I going to make it out of this storm? And Jesus is saying, don't you see me? 
Don't you see that I'm able to calm the storm? Don't you see the promise that I'm going to get you through? See, what it is is a misplaced fear. And he says, refocus on him. My wife shared this quote with me from one of her friends, Laura Georgia Caucus. Here's what she says. Anxiety is always about the future and imagining a future without God. And that is a lie because God is always with us. Fear is going to a place where God is not and there is no such place. They still had Jesus in the boat. Today, as a believer in Christ, you got Jesus in the boat. And he is able to help you and refocus you and to calm the storm. But just trust him. Know that he's there. Last question is this. Are you willing to obey whatever God asks of you? I wrestled with this because it's like, okay, I I had it. um, Are you willing to obey what God asks of you? No, I got to change that. Are you willing to obey whatever God asks of you? Because that, that's tough. That's tough. I'll obey what God asked me to do. But now you're asking, whatever? Jonah had to come to this place in his life where he, his only response was to obey, to trust God, to be a willing sacrifice for the sailors. Why was he able to make that leap? Because he knew that God could save him, that God could calm the storm. He knew that. He said that. I know the God who created all these things. Like he'd had enough experience with God to know God and know that God was able to do that. And so do you believe that? Do you believe that you serve a God who could calm the storm? Whatever it is that he asks of you, that he is faithful and that he loves you and that he's gonna be enough, even if it costs you something? See, here's what should give us extreme confidence. And it's something that Jonah did not have at the time. But yeah, he still jumped. Jonah didn't have this, but we do. It's this. That God will never ask more of you than he did of his own son, Jesus. That God will never ask more of you than he did of his own son, Jesus. Whatever? Yeah. It's only because this this story gives us a picture of the one who is coming. One man willingly sacrificing his life for the many on the boat. Jonah was thrown into the violent sea for these men to save their lives. Here's what you and I know. That 2,000 years ago, there was one man, Jesus Christ, who willingly sacrificed himself for the many. He willingly allowed himself to be thrown into the violent sea of sin and death. And no one came to his rescue. But instead, he came to our rescue. And he paid the ultimate price. He gave his life for us. And that's why Jesus said in John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. And I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. There's a God who loved you so much 
that he threw himself into the most violent storm that no, you or I could never have weathered. And he did it because he loves us. And so today I pray that as you experience many fears and many storms in life, that you refocus and put your faith and your eyes on a God who's willing to do that for you. Let's pray. Jesus, teach us to worship. It was a process in teaching Jonah how to love and to be a loving person who loved the people that you love. It wasn't natural in his heart. What we see as a part of it was just addressing the fear that lived deeply within him, the fear that people had around him, and saying that you are greater than the fear and that you are worthy of worship. And so help us today to come to you, God, and to worship you for who you are and all that you've done. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.